invite you to turn in the Word of God to a psalm. In your printed Bible, it would be at the very center on your device. It's just where the psalms are. Psalm 126. The occasion of this evening is to reflect a little bit on the past year and to anticipate the Lord's work in the coming year and how we are going to live in response to the message of the Spirit in this psalm. We'll read beginning at verse 1 through verse 6. Hear together with me the word of the Lord. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's ask the Lord's special blessing. Father in heaven, even as we sing, we pray again, we ask your Holy Spirit to work. God, we are not worthy in ourselves, but you have called us and you have dressed us in Christ's righteousness, and you desire, even in this mortal life, to make something of us for your kingdom, that we would have the delight of exhibiting your grace in the world. And we ask that you would please use this evening little by little, as one more meal among many to nourish us and strengthen us, to direct us, to call us out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Psalms are, of course, part of the Bible, and therefore they are part of the inspired Word of God. And that means something very important as we think about this Psalm tonight. It means that Psalm 126 is a spirit-inspired window into the experience of a genuine believer. A genuine believer has written a true account of his experience, and not only his experience, but of the visible church at that time when he speaks on behalf of Zion, the city of God. At that point in redemptive history, God's whole covenant people were virtually all compressed into one small area of the world. And there was your visible church. And here is an account of the experience of a genuine believer. What do we make of it? You can surmise something of what their experience was from the words that we read in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. That means they were experiencing misfortune. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The area that he's talking about is the extreme southern region of Israel. And the very word Negev comes from a Hebrew root which means parched. It was the dry lands. If you want a comparison, even where we live, it'd be something like driving out to Gila Bend in the summer. 
And he says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Of course, this is speaking about the fact that there are seasonal storms that bring water, that replenish the streams, what they call wadis, and then they dry up. And he is saying at this time in his life as a believer, he feels parched. The blessings, the overflowing abundance of the Lord that they had known has all but evaporated. And this is a believer. And then you see in verse 4 it says, It was a time of tears and weeping. It's difficult to precisely date when this psalm was written. But you wouldn't have to go far in the historical books of the Old Testament to grasp that God's people were constantly moving through cycles, even as a whole people, of tremendous suffering of being deprived of the, even the necessities of life. And then individually, particular people, even when times were good in Israel overall, particular people had tremendous burdens of temptation, of physical pain. Imagine living, as some people do even now in the world, a place where you don't have the option of a doctor, of health care, of any kind of special treatment. You just grit your teeth, and you bear it. This is a psalm of a person in deep and severe suffering. And thus the Holy Spirit is reminding you tonight, in the very first place, to pass through a season of sorrow and suffering is not inconsistent with the experience of God's people. And it may be as you look back on 2021 that you have passed through that. In some way, corporately, Many churches have gone through a severe season of testing, of relationships being bent, strained, sometimes broken. Many people in their jobs have faced tremendous loss. Some people, their retirement has been wiped out by the events of the past two years. And then even if you were not so directly touched by some of the politics, some of the health effects of a pandemic turned endemic, Yet your own individual experience may be one of tremendous pain. That is not inconsistent with what God has worked in the lives of people who are called in the scripture, beloved of the Lord, elect, chosen and adopted from eternity. It's not inconsistent even with the experience of someone who was so useful as to write a psalm that we are talking about thousands of years later. And God uses each one of us through the sorrows of this life, often because of and better for the sorrows of this life. Maybe this year has actually been, compared to 2020, a better year for you. But what does 2022 hold? Individually or corporately or nationally, we can't say. But if it does involve a severe season of pain, of being deprived relationally, economically, physically, the Lord declares to us through the psalm exactly what he calls us to. He calls you in spite of all of those things to ponder, to pray, and to persevere, knowing that he will return again with fullness and blessing. And he calls you tonight to believe that. From the heart, not simply from the head as a fact, but to receive that he will return in fullness upon his people. 
What then is he calling us to do? We'll look at each of those three ideas as headings as we come to them. Beginning with this, in this passage, in this psalm, the Holy Spirit is calling you to ponder, to think about, to really cogitate, to weigh and roll certain ideas over. It's like taking a rough rock and putting it in a tumbler, and you just let it go for a long time, and something ugly becomes beautiful. The Lord wants you to ponder his past as well as, if possible, his present blessings to you. Not to become so fixated on the faults that you have with the past year or what may lie in store for you in the coming year that you lose sight of his blessings. Look with me at verse 1. See what the psalmist does. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. In a moment of great sorrow, the psalmist is calling back into mind the fact that the Lord has indeed done great things for his people. It is so easy when you've got a thorn in your finger to forget that the rest of your body is relatively well. And to lose sight of the blessing, even being able to rejoice outside of yourself for the many people with whom we are united in the Holy Spirit, that all of us at once are not in the same ditch. Thank God for that. Providentially, perhaps he has you passing through a rough spell. But we thank the Lord for the many blessings he has. And we can't let our disappointment drown out our gratitude and our honor to the Lord to put a cork in our worship for what he has done. Because can any one of us claim that we actually deserve perfect blessedness, heaven in this life? No. If he wanted you to have the fullness of heaven, he would bring you there. He has left you in this stage of life to learn things about grace and to communicate those things to others, to learn things about the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit working even in a fallen situation. And so he has you here for these purposes. Some things that you can call to mind when you are passing through seasons of severe sorrow or suffering. Some that you can call to mind the beauty of creation. Often that is where the psalmist turns. Even last evening, perhaps, you walked outside and there was a beautiful sunset here. And if you were to just stare at it and then somehow to imagine, maybe cover one eye up so that it's two-dimensional, not three-dimensional, and now imagine somebody painting something that beautiful and you would think, they're an incredible artist. The Lord has done beautiful things and no matter how poor a person is, you could have the poorest widow, and if she can appreciate what God has done in nature and receive it as his gift to her senses, in order that she would understand his power and the things that lay before us in the new creation, then there is always something to rejoice in. If creation is wonderful, how much more the assurance that you are accepted, that you have the hope of salvation. Psalm 103, verse 2. Psalm 103, verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. The psalmist apparently had a problem with forgetting the benefits of the Lord. There's a genuine believer, and so do we. Or the fact that the Lord has ordinarily provided for us sufficient food and clothing. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 and following says, Godliness with great contentment, or godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. And note, he's, that's a conscious statement. It's not just, I am content. We will be content. We will accept that it is sufficient. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Now notice he doesn't say those who are rich are necessarily in sin. But those who desire, when that's what's driving you, rather than stewardship, but a sense that that will bring me contentment. No, it will not. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I wonder how the Lord might form that in you in the coming year. How many of our sorrows are in fact self-afflicted? They come from desiring things the Lord never said he desired for us, that we assumed were good for us, or that we wanted them on our time frame. You remember the story of Joseph in Genesis. The Lord gave him a dream, a vision, that he was going to be in a position of rulership, of leading, that his own family would kneel before him. Imagine what agony would have been added to him while he was in prison if he felt, this is going wrong, I'm supposed to already be in that position now. God never told him when. And so we are to, in the first place, ponder in the midst of whatever we suffer in the coming year, Ponder the good things the Lord has done. Verse 3, as it says, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. But the Lord calls us beyond pondering merely to a kind of passive reflectiveness. He calls us to something further. This is our second main heading, which is indicated in verse 4. The Spirit calls you to prayer. That's obvious. We are always called to prayer. But here it's something specific. Praying for God to restore the fortunes of his people. That's not wrong. Again, if you with humility accept God to work in his time frame, it's not wrong to say, Lord, heal this disease, whether mine or someone else's. It's not wrong to say, Lord, please make ends meet. God, if you would, provide abundance for us to be generous in every way. God, grant us favor again. Throughout the world, think how many people, we, we, I understand that we are concerned about Christians having less favor in this country than perhaps at prior times. But whatever we fear about the future, it is the reality this evening for many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world that being open about their faith is literally a life or death prospect. And so we pray not only for us, not only for Phoenix, not only for Americans, we pray for God's people. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 4 says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And when it rained, it poured in the southern regions of Israel, even to this day. And that's how it is, isn't it, here in Phoenix? We don't get rain until we get rain. And this is how we should be in our prayer. God, send your blessing. What you regard as blessing. Send us growth, life, abundance of your Holy Spirit. Not only for ourselves, but for all of your people and all whom you are drawing to yourself. The Lord 
never allow the weather to spin out of control, even if it looks that way to us. It's appointed for a season and a purpose. And just as the Lord appoints all of our trials for a purpose, the book of James says that it is in order to test the genuineness of our faith and a dozen other good reasons. But if he appoints that, he also appoints prayer to be his ordinary means for bringing them to a conclusion. Why? Because he wishes to form in us gratitude and trust. And so there's the illustration of the prophet Elijah, whom the Lord tells to pray, and it begins to no longer rain in the land, and then he tells him to pray, and it starts raining again. And even so, we should pray with the expectation, God, if you've willed it at all, it's going to be through our prayers. And then believe that you will have whatever he desires. That's a different way to pray. A lot of prayer, my own included, a lot of prayer is pious complaint. It's not believing requests. And the Lord calls us to pray knowing that he will answer. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord. And I encourage you, seek by the Lord's help as a matter of discipleship more and more to have that be how you respond to sorrow in your life, to sorrow in the church's life, sorrow in our nation's life and this world, to pray for God to restore. That brings us then to a third, a third and final heading. The Lord calls us to pray, but what if he doesn't give the things we want very soon? It's tempting to try to make a deal with the Lord. And a lot of people do this who are false converts to the faith. They make a deal in their heart, whether it be something like in one year they have an expectation they're going to see their life be very different, or five years or ten, or maybe they don't even put a time limit on it, but somewhere deep in their heart they are serving the Lord in exchange for certain blessings in this life. And if they don't see them, at some point they walk out. What if you don't get what you're asking for. And that may be, in a group, let's not put our heads in the sand like an ostrich and pretend this is not a reality. This many people sitting in a room, almost certainly there are going to be those, probably are those, who will pass through valleys of affliction that will last beyond 2022. And what if that's you? See what the Holy Spirit calls you to in this psalm. In verses 5 and 6, he calls you to persevere in your primary calling. Verses 5 and 6, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. It's hard to overstate how poignant these verses are. Because it's the image of a person who has gotten down to the last of the seed, and this is a real historical situation. People have had to make the decision whether or not to eat the last of the seed or to put it in the ground. When scarcity is that bad, you're making a choice. Starvation now in the hope that there will be food in abundance by the time we need it before we die, or eat it now and just give up hope. 
And here it's an image of great faith that God will send the rain in his time according to his purpose, what we actually need. And it's one of being focused on your calling. But spiritually, this has much greater weight for us when we consider how it's used throughout the Bible. One of the recurring metaphors of the Old Testament that finds its way into the New Testament is that of God's church as his vineyard. And he's out there working through his people, all of the vine dressers. And the seed is pictured as the word. Jesus has the famous parable, of course, the parable of the sower, where the word is the seed and it goes out and it grows in those where the spirit grants good soil. Where you have the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 8, one man plants, another waters, but the Lord gives the increase. It's very tempting when we are suffering to allow the way that we're suffering to overshadow and become the main priority in our life such that we lose sight of our primary purpose. Why are you here? You are here to glorify God and enjoy him forever and to do that in a way that overflows into the lives of others and draws them to faith too. You weren't here to get wealthy. You might end up as a steward of the Lord, more wealthy than some, but that's not why you're here. You weren't here to become popular, well-liked. In fact, anyone who is faithful to the Lord, automatically, if the world actually knew what you believed, many millions would be opposed to you deeply. You weren't put here for so much of what the world tells you will bring satisfaction. You are here as one who plants seed one who tends the garden. And you do that in different ways. Just because you're not in a pulpit doesn't mean that you are not sowing seed. This is one way. And I have a small life largely kept inside of a small room in a parsonage, writing sermons in prayer that the people of the Lord go out and carry the seed. We can't be everywhere. You, the church spread throughout all the nations, are everywhere. In that sense, I wish that the Lord would just blow upon his people like those videos I'm sure you've seen of tumbleweeds just careening across the plain, burying whole homes and dropping seed everywhere they go. That's your primary purpose. You'll do it. Now, maybe you're a parent and you've got young children or teenagers and most of your life is spent with them. Pour seed into those children. Providentially, those ones were born in your family or adopted into your family. It'll look different depending on your circumstance in life, but don't lose sight of this. Hear what it says in Proverbs 11, verse 18. The wicked man earns an empty wage, but he who sows righteousness reaps a true reward. Or Galatians 6, verse 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Do you ever feel weary in doing good? That's why that verse is in the Bible. Because even back then, people who saw the apostles, people who beheld miracles, got weary of doing good. Good is tiring. It is averse to our nature. It is always uphill. Do not grow weary of doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. The two are connected. God uses means. Do not give up whatever the coming year brings. 
So as we look back on 2021, I would encourage you, if it was a particular, particularly difficult year, ponder the good that was alongside of it. That might mean as a matter of devotion, so that you continue to love your Lord, taking out paper and pen, writing down, remembering the blessings, literally counting them. And as you come into 22, receive the Lord's reminder to you that you would ponder, that you would pray, that you would persevere. Whatever comes in this year, our prayer together must be, it will be, we're going to pray in just a moment, that when we are back here this time again next year, we will be able to say that we'll perhaps even remember and say, verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. He would have to cease being God to not do great things in the coming year. Let's ask for his blessing. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and the way that your spirit speaks to us what we need. We ask that you would please pour water upon these seeds that you have sown tonight. Father, please soften us if we become hard to your blessings. Cause us to rejoice in your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for the many blessings of our relationships, of friends, of the sensations that allow us to enjoy your creation and have a window into who you are. Thank you above all for Jesus Christ and the assurance of salvation. In his precious name we pray. Amen.